Max Gorlin, Melbourne Football Club. You're listening to the Coaches Panel. This is Nat Fife from the Fremantle Footy Club. Trent Cotchin from the Richmond Footy Club. Scott Penderbury from the Collingwood Football Club. You're listening to the Coaches Panel. Patrick Cooch from the Carlton Footy Club. It's Rory Sloan here from the Adelaide Crows. This is Tom Mitchell from the Hawthorne Footy Club, and you're listening to the Coaches Panel. Hey, it's MJ from the Coaches Panel. Friends, I hope you're well. The good news since we last spoke to you is we've got a return football date. It is now just a couple of weeks away, June 11th is when the football season of 2020 returns. But between now and then, still wanting to get you through uh, who both Kane and I believe are the best keeper league prospects. This isn't ranks. This is about prospects. And it's a big, big difference. And so we're going to take you from about the number 36, 37. I think you're up to number 36, Kane, in our list. Uh, Patreons, they're getting regular player-specific podcasts and articles. And if you join our Patreon army, with all the links at coachespanel.tv in the month of May or June at any tiered level, you'll get access to all of this exclusive content just for saying thank you for your support during this weird and crazy COVID time. But I suppose, Kane, we should probably go to the next player on our list. We left you uh, with, I believe it was Caleb Daniel at 37. In at 36, we've dubbed the 30s really the defender group, haven't we? Because we've got in at number 36, Another pretty popular defender for keeper league owners. Yeah, James Sicily, MJ, when we were speaking about him specifically on the pod for the Patreons, polarising was the word that just came straight to my mind. There's some people in the community that just love this guy. They love the way he plays his footy, how aggressive he is. He's obviously got an incredible skill set for an intercepting halfback. He's almost the prototype with his ability in the air. Great kick. And the way he positions himself, he gets so many of those easy plus sixes switching across half back. And on the flip side, there's people that just won't go near him. Again, we saw last year pre-buy, he was averaging 94 points, which was almost the exact replica of his whole 2018 season where he really broke through averaging 95. And again, as what happens at Hawthorne, you know, Clarko made a decision to push him forward and try to get some firepower up there. And um, his scoring plummeted all the way to 73 in the back half of the year. And yeah. it's, you know, it's MJ, that's you're talking a D5 at that point when he's scoring that low. So yep. season's average in, at the end was 84. And, you know, 2020 comes around and there's a lot of optimism about him again, MJ, with a few inclusions to the list. Well, that's it. There were, there were reasons behind why such role changes affected him. You're right, there were a couple of weeks needed to throw him forward. We, we can positively see an inclusion of the general, big Johnny Patton, as that key forward, along with Mitch Lewis, um, Gunston, and Bruce still have a number of years left in them. That forward line, you know, with a wing guard floating through there, amongst others, that looks pretty stable now. Then when he did move back into the defensive line late last year, their key talls were absolutely decimated. And what Sicily does arguably better than anybody on the list, maybe almost better than anybody in the competition, is two things. One, his ability to read the ball and intercept in play is absolutely phenomenal and elite. His ability to read the ball, to take those contested marks, those peel-off marks, is just crazy. In addition to that, his ball use is absolutely exquisite. He wasn't able to play those two roles in the back half of last year. He had to play a lockdown defensive role. However, they've stocked up through that area as well. Sam Frost is, is kind of more insurance, I would believe, rather than their primary lockdown defender. But with guys like Frawley and, and Stratton maintaining that role amongst others, both big inclusions should, and that's the key phrase, 
should free up Sicily to be back into that intercept third man up role. Well, you'd have to think so, MJ, wouldn't you? You'd have to think that last year, unfortunately for Sicily, as you said, there was holes that needed to be filled. And for a football sense, he can play that position. Obviously, for fantasy, we know we want him in that lucrative intercepting role. And the other thing he didn't get that a lot of people thought he might was he didn't get the kick-ins, really. Blake Hardwick was that guy that got the kick-ins. So when you look at some of the other, other defenders we've touched on, a lot of them have kick-in duties, which saw them get anywhere between a five to 10 point bump. And Sicily yeah. hasn't really had that yet. So if the stars aligned and he assumed that role, which as we've mentioned is kicking is elite. If he got that, it's not crazy to think that he could be pushing triple figures. No, absolutely not. Then added into that again, we deep dive a lot more into this for Patreons. You can go and check out the podcast. Um, the fact is though, He's got positional security moving forward. Yes, we've talked about him needing to, to move forward late last year, but based on their acquisitions through the trade period, I mean, free agency period last year, he's going to be able to stay in that role. With virtual moving on, they need his exquisite balls. He's going to stay through that back line, which is crucial for building your backs and your team lists and keepers. Well, the other thing, MJ, that he did that he'd been knocked on in the past was he actually played 22 games last year. Yeah. I think that's something that people are still holding over his head that it's Sicily, you know, he's volatile on the field, whether it's suspension or just getting locked down in a game. And he's obviously had a few injury troubles as well. But as I said, the scoring did dip, but at least for the first time he showed that he can play a full season. So if you're going to take anything away from that in 12 months time and he plays another, you know, hopefully 17 games this year, all of a sudden, that durability concern that was held against him and pulled him down in a few people's eyes, yeah. you have to think that it might be behind him. And he's only 25 years of, of age. Yeah, it's huge. Yeah, it's huge. Um, knowing that you've got a guy that's done not just over one year or one patch of a year, but really over three years of data now, we see that when he's allowed to play that third man intercept defensive role, he's an elite top five, top six defender for us and i know that we've got that for another five to seven years um is really really promising so look we we rate sicily really really highly yeah i think the next guy though on the list is another guy that injury was a big concern and i think for a lot of people too is they never really saw that he could progress into the elite ranks he was pretty much just an 80 guy and i'm talking about zach williams yeah obviously salary cap mj he was close to a no-brainer for a lot of people he was lucky enough that he played those two finals, if people will remember, at the end of the 2018 right. season. So he didn't play any home and away, but he had a couple finals, throw in a preseason. And the way he fell, he was so explosive um, in that giant side. Took an average up to 92. We spoke about on the main body of this, the Williams podcast that he started really slow, which is fair yeah. enough for a guy that's missed so much footy. And yeah. You look at, look at the, when you, what he did when he returned to the side after injury, 103 in the back yeah, half huge. of the year. So yeah, final 11 there games. might actually be some yeah. value there. Well, that's true. Look, and of those scores, you're right. 11 games to wrap up the year, averaged 103, seven tons, um, in, including three over 120. Like that's a pre and post injury because he did miss a couple of games in there through injury. It was a, a differential of 19. Um, points per game through there. Um, some would suggest that the reason he increased his scoring so much was because of an additional midfield minutes. And while he certainly did hit some centre bounces through there, um, it's not quite the case. It did give him a small bump, but it wasn't crazy because between round 12 and 17 last year, he averaged 97. And that's from his half-back role. 
Um, and it was only once Cogs went down that we actually saw him get some centre bounce attendances. And even at times was used, you know, off the forward 50 and like a Whitfield, you know, given some times to then generate the ball inside forward 50. So I, I think you're right. I think the reason for the slow start was just getting back into footy. And it wasn't because his midfield minutes were so drastically increased. Yeah, obviously it helps. But the thing that jumped out to me, and it, and it makes sense when you look at a guy that had body issues, that his first nine games of the year, MJ, he mm. recorded seven tackles. This is one of the most explosive players in the Giants' side yeah. who is so quick and can shut down people. So, so to average less than a tackle a game for the first nine games, in the last 12, average 4.4. Yeah. So he's get, he got an extra 14.5 points a week just on tackles in the back half of the season. Yeah, it's not bad. If that, if that remain, if that remain, obviously some of that was that inside midfield time, but across those 12 games, he wasn't an inside mid that whole time. No. And no. he had pretty consistent tackle numbers across the board. So even if that is, you know, 10 points a week in the back half of the season when he had that, you know, confidence in his body and obviously yep. the role in the side, like 10 points, MJ, for a defender to go up is absolutely massive. And as I said, he doesn't have to average 103 you know, to be a great pick, even if he just held ground at 92, 95, Boy, he's still going to be in the top handful defenders. And um, he's really hard to stop yeah. because he is so quick. And obviously the Giants have a monopoly on the ball pretty much every time they play. And it's just a guy that, you know, unless he gets another Achilles injury, which is the one thing I sure. do worry about with him is that it's already flared up again um, yep. to start this season. He missed, this, missed round one. But yeah. there's not many guys in defense that have his sort of ceiling as well. And the ability, like we said, if you can go 103 for a whole back half of the year in defense, yeah. all of a sudden now you're in the top or three in that one. Yeah, it's true. Look, you, you talk about ceiling. Look, his best ever score was uh, 142 uh, as a career best. And then he's got multiple years averaging the mid-80s. I think that's the one concern added to the durability is it's such a big jump. And there are reasons for it, which we talk about in the, in the episode. But it is such a big jump that for some coaches, they're going, am I paying for what is a mid to late, you know, 80s average at an early 90s price point? Maybe you are. But I genuinely think he's around that 90 marker um, for the rest of his career. The question isn't about his scoring potential. He is so vital to that Giants lineup. They are stocked on the inside for the next 25 years, given the amount of talent they've got on the inside. They love Whitfield you know, pushing up the wings from half forward and then being that really what is the most crucial kick in footy is the inside forward 50. What they love he brings for them is run and dash and dare off that half back. And with someone like a Heath Shaw that historically has helped do that coming into the twilight of his career, even with the recruitment of Ash, I think Williams is going to play a central role into that halfback role for the Giants. Yeah, they have a they have their list so staggered perfectly, don't they? Obviously, they do such a good job of shipping out players that don't quite fit their needs and then bringing in another first-round pick. So yeah. all of a sudden, when they had this whole pool of talent coming at the same age, they've had an ability now to have you know pretty even mix of players across every age bracket. So, yeah, I have no concerns about Williams um, moving out of defence. Again, will he have... And sometimes MJ just have a purple patch and maybe yeah. that's what that back half of the season was and, and he can't replicate that. But even still, I think when you factor in his slow start after missing so much time, mm. I think over the course of a season and hopefully consecutive seasons for Zach, he is a 90 type of guy, which in yeah, defense, so. it's really hard to go wrong. 
Yeah, and he's at a good age too, um, that is for sure. Let's keep moving through these 30s players that we discussed. In at number 34, though, mate, is a personal favourite of yours. He's teased us for a couple of years, but will we finally see the breakout of Christian Petrarca? Well, MJ, I think it depends when you asked. I think at the end of last year, there would be a lot of people thinking that maybe not, maybe it wouldn't actually come. But it seems like, for whatever reason, the preseason's gone as well as it can for Christian Petrarca. And we haven't factored in round one performances, but you can't not see what he did round one. He was unbelievable. And I think the main thing now is even looking at preseason is not always a massive indicator, but his two preseason games. And round one, he racked up 38, 23, 24 touches in shortened games. Yeah. In the 86 AFL games he's played before that, he'd only gathered 25 disposals once. Yeah, so wow. when you think about that, like that's, that to me, what I take out of that is the role. He's finally got a role where he has more of a balanced split, mid and forward. It's going to be hard to you know, knock out an Oliver, a Brayshaw and a Viney in that core group. But for a keeper league, that's almost what you're because you know he's going to get some opportunities in there, but at the same time, he's going to play enough forward that he retains that forward status. And again, we've seen heaps of people. Dangerfield is probably the one that jumps yeah, out just with the progression they've had. Yeah, they both had quite slow starts. You remember Dangerfield's first year, he was actually still at school yeah. when he was drafted by the Crows. So he barely played. And obviously, Petrarca had it, missed his whole first year with an ACL. So again, to still go 67, 71, 80 points... In his obviously last year wasn't what he wanted with a 75, but again, I think it's for a guy that's 24, a lot of people have already given up on him, and I think he's the type of guy that's just about to enter his prime. Yeah, I think so too. He was such a dominant forward presence um, as a junior, he's so difficult to match up inside forward 50. He's, he's different. You know, we've talked about players already through this, you know, like a, a Jordan Dugowie or a Dustin Martin that are really difficult to match up inside forward 50. He's not v the same type of player to, to those two, but he is really, really difficult to match up. And he, I think if Melbourne could get that perfect split, you know, that 60-30 split that we've kind of started to see, then a long-term seasonal average around that 90 marker is there, whether it be because of tank, whether it be because of, you know, Melbourne getting that midfield balance just right. I think it's absolutely there. You, you use that contrast to Patrick Dangerfield. You're right. The, the parallels are very, very similar there. Of You know, there'd be these games where, you know, for quarters, um, Dangerfield early in his first four or five years at Adelaide would, would tear it apart. And then, nothing would happen. It was this forever tease moment of, will it happen? Will it happen? Will it happen? But it eventually, we know it did. Um, and I think it's very, very similar with Petrarca that he's built the tank. They've got that right role for him. Everything's there now. So it should, should be a great result for those that want to get into Petrarca. Yeah. And obviously in our list, he's taken a nice jump because it is so hard to find forwards as an MJ. We've spoken about just how difficult it is to have a forward that could be a forward year in and year out. Most of the best forwards are guys like we saw last year that were quiet the year before, and then they gain forward status and also a midfield role. So yeah. when you've got a guy like Petrarca, I'd be very confident that you can build around his, him holding forward status for a long time. Yeah. And like I said, like to, to show those dis, that disposal winning ability, as I said, yeah. albeit in preseason and, and just round one. Yeah. He just never had that opportunity. So I don't think what we're judging him on is something he's been doing in the past. I think this is a completely different role. Yeah. 
And I think finally, as you said, he might have his body in a place that he yeah. can do this week in and week out. Yeah, I think, you know, some might, might see the, the lack of tons across his career or, you know, the regression year he had in terms of average last year, like just the one ton across last year, um, regressed his average after, you know, some pretty decent builds every single year. Um, that certainly does give a little bit of concern for keeper owners going, oh, okay, he's regressed. He's not hit that ceiling as much. Those are certainly things to look at. But remember, Melbourne's done some major surgery to that midfield. And in fact, to that entire side over the past offseason, they've brought in that small forward that they've been crying out for. They've got two very different types of wingmen now into that side. I just think Petrarca's able to be that burst player through that midfield. Let Viney, let Brayshaw, let Oliver be those core three through the midfield. And then Petrarca can really be that fourth just explosive player, you know, give him that seven minutes through a midfield um, to really dominate and use his bulking frame and explosive speed from stoppage out there. And then, as you've said, allowing those mid, those, you know, forward minutes as a half forward to push up, to push deep and really make it a difficult impact for coaches, you know, to really stop him. Yeah, that's the thing. He doesn't, he wins his own ball. That's the great thing about Petrarca. He's always done that. Um, and now, obviously, given that midfield time, he's starting to get some ball from other people as well, which is great. But talk about burst, MJ. They're going out next on our list. Albeit we've seen one season at one game, but Connor yeah. Rosie. Oh, boy. There's, there's sometimes you just watch a player and you just think, this guy's going to be a star. Yeah. And it took oh, him man. all of, you know, a couple games to showcase that he can already play at the elite level. What he did against Brisbane... Oh, you know, man. booting five goals, 21 touches, 121 points. Not bad um, game of footy, is it? No, that's the thing, MJ. Like, not only was he influential, he was almost the reason Port Adelaide got home against yeah. a very good Brisbane side. And players that can have that impact, not just obviously score great fantasy points, but yeah. actually be one of the most important players on the ground. Yeah. Um, you know, it's rarefied air. And we've seen guys that have done similar things, how they progressed. and. Again, Connor Rosie in 12 months' time, MJ, we might have to halve his position on this list. Yeah, it's, it's so true, man. Like, we, we talk about um, Port Adelaide a little over 12 months ago at that draft. They spent a lot um, to be able to move up into that position to secure Connor in, in the draft. And he has proven to, to deliver not just what they'd hoped. I think he's going to be even better than what they'd hoped. And they knew they were going to get a very, very good player. You know, three games into his career is when he first turns up. Um, if you've listened through uh, as Patreons through some of the history of these episodes, one of the key things I am always looking for from a player in terms of can I forecast as accurately as possible? Will they turn into a big breakout premium is how quickly do they get into those triple-figure markers um, as a player? Here, here's some players um, that just is going to help us in terms of long-term big-name fantasy players. For Clayton Oliver and Jackson McRae, um, in terms of their first ton, it was 14 games. Nat Fife and Adam Trelaw, they did it in six. For Connor Rosie, third game. Yeah, that um, the kid can play footy. And he's damaging forward and midfield too. Well, that's the thing, MJ, as well, is that Connor Rosie hasn't been gifted the same midfield opportunity as a lot of those guys had. So to impact the game from the forward line like he did is incredible. And honestly, I can see by the end of the season with some of Port Adelaide's real ageing stars, yeah. I, would, I genuinely believe he's the best player on that list. He'd be, he'd be close now, but I he's think by the end now, of the season, yeah. 
he'll have cemented himself as he is genuinely their best player and a superstar of the AFL. And not when not just fantasy points, I'm talking in general. Like the trajectory Nat Fife had. He is just so influential and he's so explosive. Yeah. And he's such a good mark. He's got all these traits that how do you stop him? What's the matchup for a guy like Connor Rosie? Because yeah. in the midfield, you see what he did in just round one, the way he cuts through the pack, uses yeah. it so well. Um, I think the great thing we got with him, MJ, is that if he keeps forward setters for a long time, yeah, he's wow. still going to probably be a 95 to 100 guy. And yeah. conversely, if he becomes a pure mid, oh, I don't see how he's not at least 105, 110. Again, he just, the way he builds his score, it's just, he's comfortable doing everything. Yeah, like I, I think if you've been playing fantasy footy for a long period of time, this, this player reference will help in terms of what I'd love Port Adelaide to do is to play him in the same way Geelong used to play Paul Chapman. Now, they're different players. Like, they're, they're totally different players. But what we get with Paul Chapman, if you've been playing fantasy footy for the past decade or so, is this guy that we knew was spending enough time through the forward line that he'd retain that forward eligibility but would get enough opportunity through the midfield that it didn't really damage his ceiling too much. And so Paul Chapman, you know, over a big chunk of his latter part of his career at Geelong, he pretty much averaged most years from like that 90 to that 110 sort of marker. And that's exactly where I'd love Port Adelaide to kind of use him in that same sort of position. Don't have him so forward heavy that he doesn't get a chance to impact the game through the midfield because he, along with Robbie Gray, is arguably their two best midfielders. Conversely, don't have him so much through the midfield that that X factor that he brings inside forward 50, they need him in both those spots. I think if they can get that role split right, for keeper league owners, we're going to get that Paul Chapman style of scorer version too. Yeah, and honestly, MJ, a lot of this probably depends on does Todd Marshall, Mitch Georgiatis, you know, who hits out of that? If these guys become genuine scorers yeah. that can kick, you know, 40 plus goals each a season, yeah. well, then all of a sudden the need for Rosie to spend tons of time down there, you know, isn't as necessary. Conversely, you know, does the midfield group, does Power Pepper really flourish? Does a Dersma push inside? You know, what sort of, you know, does Boak and Rockliffe just keep going on EBIT? So I think Port Adelaide is in a really fortunate position that when they go to the draft now, they can just pick the best player available yeah. and know that they can put Rosie wherever they want. So I think they've done a great job at, you know, turning over. They made a lot of big calls and, um, when you land a superstar of a competition like Rosie, I yeah. think all of a sudden it makes every other pick a lot easier. Yeah, no, it certainly does. L let's keep moving through this bunch of 30s. Uh, of course, if you want to keep checking out the full articles and podcasts, join the Patreon army, friends, all the links at coachespanel.tv and you'll be able to get deep dive podcasts and articles from Kane and myself talking about every single one of these players. Let's move to number 32, keeper prospect for us. And maybe for some, it's a little bit surprising though, Kane. We've gone and headed west, the West Coast Eagles superstar, Elliot Yo. Yeah, Elliot Yo is an interesting one, MJ, because in his past three seasons, he's been a forward, a back and a mid. Yeah. And he's pr produced premium scores in every line in varying degrees. So 98, 106, 102 in the last three years. The 102 last year is interesting because... Most people remember that he barely had a preseason. Yeah, it's true. And he still managed to produce 102 points. The thing you love about Yo is the tackle numbers are incredible and make mm. it really hard for him to have a bad score. Again, he's yeah. up. He's basically nearly at eight tackles a week, MJ, which puts him in the top. Base. 
three to four guys in the league. So when you've got that as your base, the interesting thing we don't know, it could be good, could it be bad, is obviously the inclusion of Tim Kelly, who's one of the elite ball winners in the competition. You know, does that help him? Does it hurt him? Mm. He's got a little bit of attention, yo, but at the same time, often he's the one dishing out the attention to the opposition's best players because he's so physically strong and he's so good in the air on the ground that he's not a guy you want following your best player around. So Uh. I'll be really curious to see what the Eagles do um, with that and how that whole structure bounces out because obviously they're just loaded across the whole ground, the Eagles. Yeah, I, I think of all the West Coast midfielders, as we've only seen one game of footy with Tim Kelly coming into impact. Um, Elliot Yo is the one I have the least concerns about his scoring drastically adjusting um, because he adds something to that midfield unit that none of the others have. Gaff's the outside specialist. Yeah, he got some centre bounces last year, but where do you want Gaff getting the ball? In and under at the clinches? Absolutely not. You want him on the outside being that second touch player, you know, delivering up to the next target. Um, Shuey and also, um, you know, Tim Kelly, you want them, you know, really dynamic midfielders getting the ball in and under. Yo's adding some pressure um, and that defensive pressure. You talk about those tackle numbers, but then additionally, um, he's such a weapon in the air. He's like this additional tall for them through the midfield. We know West Coast are so good at their intercept, you know, through half back and deep inside defensive 50. Yo's got the ability and spent a lot of his craft in the early years at West Coast and Brisbane in that defensive line, learning that ability to do that. So he does that not just when he floats back, but if he drifts forward to be a weapon when he spent some time forward, man, he's a goal scoring option. Equally, when they need that additional, you know, clunking mark, you know, trying to get the ball out of defensive 50 up through the wings and through the midfield, he's able to do it. He's one of the most versatile players in the competition. And added to that, he's actually got a fantasy ceiling about him too. Yeah, absolutely, MJ. I think that's the beautiful thing about picking a guy like Yo in a keeper league is you think that he would age quite well in, in keeper leagues. And what I mean by that is when he gets over 30, I still think he's going to be more, more than doable, you know, posting 85, 90-plus scores, whether he's a forward or a back. He's just that versatile. And the other thing I love is how durable he is. I mentioned that he barely had a preseason. He still played 21 games last year. And... He just doesn't miss. Like he's, he's in the last five years, he's missed six games, and in four of those seasons, he's played twenty-one or twenty-two. So if he's yeah. going to miss, it's going to be one or two weeks at absolute most. And um, you always love a guy that's in a great team and with yeah. the foundation that West Coast have. And as I said, if he can produce a hundred and two off no preseason, the floor is almost a hundred. Yeah. Again, where's the ceiling? He's certainly capable if everything fell right. Yeah. of going 110 plus. Yep. But, you know, with obviously the roles that he gets and how many good players they have, um, West Coast is not really a high disposal team, but they're a really good kick mark team. So Gaff obviously benefits hugely from his play style. Yeah. Does Yo possibly, but I probably still have him in that 105 range, maybe two or three points either Absolutely. side most years. But again, as you said, when you've got a guy is, who is so versatile, yeah. You don't really worry about that back end of his career. If he gets moved out of the midfield, he's still probably going to be a leap back or a leap forward. Well, that's right. You, you talked right at you know, the top of, of speaking about Elliot Yo. Um, three years ago, um, he was a premium forward for us and, and was one of the top 10 forwards for us across that format. Um, uh, uh, just the other year, a, a premium defensive option for us. And then, you know, coming off last year, you know, is that 100 plus um, midfielder and you time that run right with him in salary cap formats. 
man, oh man, like that's huge. Um, so yeah, I, I'm a big, big fan of Elliot Yo. Um, and you're right, as he gets toward the back end of his career, West Coast have got that lucky blessing of, okay, do we want to have that additional tall forward or that high marking forward target through there? You know, not quite an Isaac Heaney type of person, but that, you know, very, very adequate. And in fact, more than adequate, arguably elite, you know, overhead mark given his size. Or no, nah, we, we want him, you know, kind of peeling off and being another one of our flying markers to support McGovern and Barras. They've got so many options with Yo. So I agree. I think versatility can hurt some players um, with their scoring. For others, it just means they're always going to be put in a position where they can get the ball and win the game. Jimmy Bartell did it for Geelong. Um, he was so good at so many different things over his career that even though his positional history would change almost by the year, he was a forward one year, mid one year, back one year, he was still a premium in whatever role he was. I think Yo's, he's not Bartell, but he's got those, cal- um, those calibre scoring potential and those qualities of if he's a back one year, he'll be a premium. If he's a mid one year, he'll be a top 15, top 20, um, you know, kind of score and not just an average. And if he's forward, he'll, he'll do well for it. So I, I, I love Yo. Let's get to 31 before we do, you know, second last player on this episode. I'll be honest, I found him really difficult to position because we know when he's fit, when he's on the ground, and it's been a while since it's happened. Man, he's a valuable commodity to keeper league owners. But if you've had him for the past two years, he's given you sweet squad all into your squad. Yeah, well, Sam Doherty is the guy you're referring to, MJ. And I agree. He's probably the hardest player we've had to evaluate in this list so far. Um, at his best, he's he probably is top five on this list yeah. pretty comfortably. But yeah. the reality is he's missed 2018 and 19 with ACL injuries. And my you know, worst case scenario is you're picking a guy that we've got, you know, start of the fourth round, end of the third round. Yeah. He does one more ACL and it's career over. Yeah. So when you've got that as the worst case scenario, that's, that's really scary spending this high pick on him. On the flip side, this is a guy that scores midfield numbers in defence. Oh, it's insane. And he, and he genuinely separates. I, I went back and looked at his 2017 season, and we know, you know, 116.8 points, all 22 games. But when you dive deeper into the way that Carlton played, mm. it really did help, help Doherty. So he led the league in kicks, led the league in marks, and Carlton as a side also led, led the league in kicks and were third in marks. So yeah. this game style that obviously Doherty was a huge a benefactor of tied in perfectly, just like we mentioned with Gaff at West Coast. Yeah. Kick mark game, no one works harder, no one uses the ball better than Gaff, and it suits his scoring perfectly. And obviously, we know that Brennan Bolton's no longer the coach of the Blues. Yeah, David Teague last year in the games that he coached, he coached 11 last year. The Blues were ranked eighth for kicks, six for marks. So, not, not drastically sure. a huge drop off. Um, Again, if you look at the actual individual numbers, it was about three kicks less, which is barely anything over 200 kicks. And then the marks dropped 13. So all I mean there is that I don't think the ceiling that we had of Doherty at 117, Yeah, I think that naturally has to come down. I think what happened in that year, like I said, you've got a, a player that's so proficient in those areas and yeah. his team is supporting him with the exact game style. Yeah, I think that already bumps it down you know, to about... 110, 112 is almost what I think is the best case for Doherty now. Yeah, so I'm obviously probably a little is, lower than that too. You know, you, you, you talk about, you know, 110 like that. 
that's premium crazy midfield numbers. Unbelievable. So that puts him as, as a top-tier defender. I'm probably a little cooler on his ceiling. I think he's closer to a 105 in terms of, of where I think he's, you know, he's 10 points either side, or probably five points either side of 100, to be honest, which, again, is awesome um, through there. But, yeah, I, I'm similar with you. That, that concern of, of how much Carlton's evolved since 2017, both with a game style, but also they were just trying to cull the bleeding. Every week they were getting absolutely pantsed by sides. And even to the first half of last year, we saw a very possession-heavy Carlton under T. They're wanting to take the game on. They're wanting to get the ball inside forward 50. They're actually trying to win the game, not just teach good habits. Um, Teague's trying to attempt to do both of those things. Um, and, and so I think you throw in the fact that Newman has come into the side, who's another really adequate ball user through that back line. They like Sam Petrovsky seaton um, coming off the halfback. I think a combination of more mouths to feed and a differential game style. And then that slight warning of, while everyone's one twist away from doing an ACL, he's done one on each leg now. So history is certainly not on his side to think that he's immune to that. Um, just gives me enough concern, which is why I've kind of got him where we've got on our list. Yeah, again, as I said, I think if that's the best case scenario, like if everything fell right again, I have him, you know, peaking at about that 110 range. But if there's a risk that you're going to spend this high pick, like we're just yeah, talking about true. a guy just before an Elliot Yo, like that is what you're giving up if you're going to spend a selection. And to be honest, MJ, and we know from the leagues we've done, yeah. He's going earlier than we have him ranked. He's going late second, yeah. Yeah. He is usually in the late teens, early 20s of a draft. Yep. So now, again, we're talking about a whole different pool of players that, one, don't have any of this durability risk. Yeah. And as I said, we haven't seen him at this point in time in this new system enough to know, you know, what does it happen? As you said, there's so many more mouths to feed. You'd hope that Carlton's midfield unit takes some of the pressure off their back line. Yeah. Uh, so there's so many factors that make it very hard for, for certain coaches. They just won't be able to pick him because they'll yeah. look at the players they're going to choose ahead of him. And I think I'm just going to take this guy yeah. and let someone else take a Doherty. Take the risk. And on the flip side though, there's, yeah. if you do take the risk and he and keeps it, it together for a season. Yeah. Wow. Well. Again, even if we said the middle ground that you sort of had, which was about one Oh five. Yeah. We know that just by, you know, That's the value the of having defender. a one Oh five. Yeah. Yeah, you're probably looking at a, you know, that's equivalent of a 115, 120 mid. Yeah. We know how few of guys those are. So you could be getting a guy in the 20s that is really First a top rounder. 10 pick. Yeah. And that's the hard thing is that it only takes one guy to pick him. And that's why he'll always go earlier than we have him in our shared list. Yes. Yeah. But, and again, these are, these are prospects, not rankings. But if you were to draft based around these um, prospects, um, you'll miss him. Like, just plain and simple, you miss him. You, you need to be using a late second, early third to go and, like, definitely secure him. Um, I think some might look at his round one score, which hasn't factored into the way we've built this 50, and go, well, he's going to fly. Maybe he does. But remember, Richmond, over the past few years, under this new game style, pretty much that they've developed since 2017, they just give up points to defenders. They will happily let you retain the ball, and they will believe that they will bring a turnover on the wings and then quickly bring the ball back into 50. So could you use that argument? Yes, but look at what defenders do against Richmond over the past few years. They all have a, a vastly increased average. So helpful, sure, but you know, just some caution in the wind there.
Doherty's good. He could be the best defender. Or, and let's hope it doesn't happen, another injury to that knee on either side. Oh, boy. And that could be curtains on what has been a pretty incredible fantasy scorer for a few years. Yeah, well, again, obviously, MJ, no one is hoping he gets injured. Nope. But we have to be realistic and say that when you have done two ACLs, it is a concern. Yeah. And you can't just ignore it when you're looking at it is ranking a, a guy. Yeah, it's a it risk. It is a massive risk. And the funny thing is, the next guy we've got on the list might be the exact opposite of Sam Dockett. We've gone for the, the only player on our list with perfect availability numbers in the four-year window we looked at Jack Crisp. 100%. He has and not enough, missed MJ, a game. He has not missed a game. And we could have stretched this window to five years for Crisp. Still wouldn't And he'd still have 100%. Again, it is incredible. He currently has the longest active streak in the AFL of consecutive games, 123 games. McDonald, Tip and Woody is second with 79. Yeah. So what Crisp has done to actually just be on the field. Yeah. And while last year was clearly his best year at 97 and yep. 0.7 points, the other years still really, really solid as well. All sort of in that mid eighties. Well, 87, with a, with a 90 88, in 84. There. Yeah. Like again, we're talking about, a, um, you know, the importance of ceiling for a fantasy player is absolutely there. The importance of having a, a high scoring basement or a high scoring floor is hugely important to us that we don't get these scoring differentials week in, week out in a salary cap. You know, it might balance out over a year and in, in a draft, you, you don't want to have those drastic swings because as much as it win you a game one week, you'll, he'll lose you another game the, the next week. One of the most valuable commodities in a keeper league is availability. And to know week in, week out for five years now that if you had owned Jack Crisp, you would have had a D1 or a D2 every single year who is playing for you week in and week out. And then who does have a pretty good basement and, a, and he's got a ceiling, like a career high score of 147. Like that's a highly valuable thing. And that's why some go, well, he's not better than Doherty. No, 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 no. He's different to Doherty. And what he's brought you over the past two years or even the past four years, you balance that out, man, two years of elite Doherty is awesome. But then you're probably spending two years of someone off the waiver wire as opposed to a guy that you just go, man, I'm getting a mid-80s to low-90s average for five years. Man, that's pretty handy. Yeah, well, they're two completely different things, aren't they, MJ? Really? They're just, it's how big of a swing do you want to take? If you want to go, try to hit a home run, Doherty's yeah. your guy. That's it. If you want, to, if you just want to get it in there, get on base. Yeah, it's a nice base hit. This is your guy, Jack Crisp. The thing is int- interesting, MJ. Is it's almost similar to Zach Williams that Crisp also got some midfield exposure in the back half of the yeah, year he did. and had a nice boost. So in the final ten games, he went at one hundred and five. Pre buy, he was at ninety two. Mm. So it's interesting to see. You know, obviously Collingwood had a few little injuries in the midfield that they were managing. Yeah. And we haven't obviously seen much this year. Um, we've seen Dacos around and the, the yeah. Brown brothers getting a bit of time, but we haven't obviously seen enough of a sample size to know. And um, another thing that Chris just loves, similar to Williams, is Collingwood's the best fantasy side going around at the moment. So yeah. the number of points they get and their sort of kick mark style as well and possessing the footy, um, he's not going to get any more of a boost from that because they really can't go up. So you'd have to monitor if Collingwood start, you know, changing their game style to a different avenue. Again, yeah. I, I'd be surprised if they did it in the short term because they're yep. really one of the best teams already. Yep. But it's just something to keep in mind that, you know, game style is really elevating 
Chris scoring because it just suits what he does so well. He's a great kick. He intercept marks. He likes to run and carry. Yeah. Um, again, people would argue as well, MJ, that this is the best season we've seen for him. So we, is his value at you know highest point now? Is he going to regress back to what he has been, which is a you know mid to high eighties, low nineties guy? Yeah. That's the hard. That's the hard thing to know. But again, when you can go one hundred and five plus for ten games, yeah that shows you've got some scoring about you. Yeah, it's true. You know, last year between round five and 20, he had one score under 84. That's not bad. You look back through the past couple of years, you see him go on these runs where he averages 110, 115 over five, six, seven, eight-week periods. So I, I think it's all there. I think the elements are, are there right for Jack Crisp. He does not miss games. His basement's really quite solid. He scores across a variety of different columns, meaning he's not just a possession-dependent player to be able to score. And he has a ceiling. And he hasn't missed a game. And at 27... Um, they're not going to, he's not getting a role change to go forward. That midfield unit, like they're building it still very much around Trelaw. Like a, a Jordan Degoe can't even get that many midfield minutes through there. Yes, we'll see the end of an era with Pendles and side bottom over the next couple of years. But Crisp just adds something so versatile to that back line. Throw him in for a couple of midfield rotations a, a quarter. Absolutely. But is he a 97 guy over the rest of his career? Maybe, maybe not. Is he closer to the 90 marker? Probably. But would I take a, a safe 90 who doesn't miss games and who has a ceiling in the most fantasy-friendly side over some other potential risks? Men, every coach is different. And, and I know we'll wrap up the episode in, in a second, but there are two different real types of strategies, like baseline strategies when it comes to how you draft inside those first five to 10 picks high risk and high reward, or really, predictable is the wrong word, safe and secure. Both aren't wrong. Um, Both have risks associated to them. Some have some more, you know, some rewards. Others have a a, a little bit less deviation. If, If you don't like taking risk in your drafting, if you want a real dependable defender one, then Crisp is your guy. Over many of these other defenders we've looked at, Sicily's got elements of risk in this episode. Williams has got elements of risk. Doherty's got elements of risk. All for different things, you know, role or injury. That's not there for Crisp. So if you don't like risk in your back line or risk early on in your draft, then Crisp is your boy. And that's why, MJ, you can't actually do a, hey, this is the order that you should, the first 50 picks should go in every keeper league draft. Because yeah. like we've mentioned in all the pods is, you have to support your picks with the next pick. Yeah. If you take if you take a Doherty, well, you're probably going to want to draft an extra defender that's pretty solid, just yeah. in case he does go down. Yeah. You've got to support your list like that. And again, conversely, if you want a guy like Crisp to you know to work with a Doherty, all those sort of things come into effect to balance it. It's a whole list. It's not oh, I've got this one player, I'm going to win the league. You have to manage the whole thing. Correct. That's what people always say, that the back end of the draft is always more important because the, the deviation between that player hitting and that player missing yeah. is massive. The first 50 picks, a lot of them, you know, it's two or three points or it's a game or here, there, they miss. Yeah. As you said, it's all about personal preference and what your strategy is for the site. The one thing I will leave on is people forget that Jack Crisp is actually six foot three. So if he had to play an inside midfield role, yeah, he can. as I said, he, he briefly touched on it. He went 105 in the back end. So he's another versatile chess piece that Collingwood can use 
going forward if they want to move Penderbury out of that side and side bottom. The good thing for those two players is they they seem to age so well, MJ, because they yeah. both use the ball as good as any. So um, never hurts. Never hurts to be in a good side and have versatile players. Yeah, certainly true. So that's who we've got at number 30. So 20 players have been revealed into the public hemisphere, which you've been able to get through either Spotify or iTunes. And I hope you've been navigating ISO Life OK, friends. If uh, you're a Patreon, you know we're a little bit ahead of this. Uh, and you've been also been getting player podcasts, deep dive, 15, 20-minute episodes of every single one of these players, plus articles from Kane and I looking at every single one of these players. So if you're a Patreon, you know there's some real interesting names to come. If you want to join our Patreon army, help support the Coaches Panel in what we do, uh, all the links are at coachespanel.tv. And you can go back in time and grab all those 20 players revealed so far. The good news is, as we get closer to the start of, uh, or the restart of the AFL season, the regular midweek trade and strategy podcast will land for salary cappers. But we're going to keep going with our Keeper League podcast uh, recaps for you too to make sure we will get you right up to number one. So even if you can't or don't want to join our Patreon army, that's okay. We still want to let you know who we've got inside our top 50 prospects. Next time we chat to you, we head into the 20s. And there are some personal favorites that appear in the 20s. Who are they? We'll tell you about them soon. Now keep it true.